Hey guys and welcome to or back to the Pause and Pursuit podcast with your host Summer Clark. So today I decided to do an episode all about overrated and underrated agility trends. You guys seem to really enjoy my previous episode all about my agility staples and what I really like to buy and use in agility. So I thought this was quite relevant and similar and that you'd also enjoy it as well. So I hope no one gets triggered if you use any of these things that I think are underrated, uh, sorry, overrated. Doesn't mean they're bad, just means for me. I just think they don't need to be shouted about quite as much. So overrated, obviously you've got the things that are shouted about and I don't think are actually that useful. Um, and you can get away without them or with an alternative. And then obviously your underrated things are things that no one really seems to talk about, but I think are super helpful and more people could do with. So before we actually jump in to the things, um, I'm just going to do a quick life update. Um, I think you guys will like that if I do um, a life update at the start of every episode. So not a lot has happened in the past week, to be fair. Um, the only thing that has really happened that is worth telling you about is I started my new college course, uh, Level 2 Dog Grooming Assistant. So that is for 50 weeks. So I've done a week, so 49, no, 30 weeks. So I've done one week, so I've got 29 more weeks. And then I have my Dog Grooming Assistant's um, qualification. And then I'll go on to do 50 weeks of the Level 3 Dog Grooming. And then I'm a qualified uh, dog groomer so that means 79 weeks until i am a until until i am a fully qualified dog groomer so that is super exciting as i get more into it and learn more things then i can do some episodes about dog grooming if you guys would like that um and that is pretty much all that's happened since i've last talked to you um worth telling you in in the dog world I've got Thames this weekend, that should be cool. So if anyone's going to Thames, I will see you there. Um, I'm hoteling because me and my mum cannot be bothered to set the tent up just for one night because we're super lazy. Um, and also the weather's a bit iffy at the moment. It's raining and it's cold and it's June and I'm upset. Um, upset, upset. Look at me not Englishing again. Anyway, um, so yeah, if you're at Thames, come and say hi. I'm there both days and that will be very cool. So that um, said, let's crack on with the episode. So we're going to start with overrated things. Okay, so brace yourselves. I think trendy accessories such as dog leads, collars, harnesses, coats and toys and human clothing are overrated. So what I mean by that is that your dog doesn't need a fancy lead, collar, harness, coat or toy. Doesn't need to be super expensive. Doesn't need to be blingy. Um, obviously, it's really nice to treat your dog and get those blingy, fancy, good looking things. But at the end of the day, they are quite expensive. So if you can't afford them or don't want to spend money on that, you know, I mean, agility is super expensive. You want to spend your money on actual shows, petrol, training days, stuff like that. So if you're like me and work part time, um, then your dog might not have as many fancy accessories or you, well, I say like me, Arrow and Ethel do have nice things, but over time, um, and I do have, again, I only have a few pairs of like Gymshark leggings and stuff. Um, I do have nice clothes, but I don't have tons of them. I, it's quality over quantity. But you don't need really fancy clothes uh, to do agility in. You know, you don't need Gymshark. You don't need all the branded leggings. You could just get leggings from literally anywhere. There's leggings at Primark. Yes, they probably won't be as comfy, but they'll do. Um, shoes, obviously a little bit more important, which I'll come on to in a bit. But... You don't need all the branded clothes. You can do agility in whatever you want. 
pretty much as long as you can move in it. You could have cheap leggings and a baggy t-shirt and you could still do agility brilliantly. So you don't need to panic about affording um, all the trendy accessories for you and your dog. It's unnecessary, um, to be honest. And toys as well. You know, you, excuse me. Oh God, sorry, I've just had my lunch. Um, <laughs> you, you know, you need a toy that your dog loves. Doesn't have to be expensive. If your dog loves it, they don't care what how expensive it is or what brand it is or how fancy and blingy it is or what colour it is, as long as your dog loves it. Same with, obviously, leads, collars, harnesses and coats. Obviously, you do want ones that work and do the job. So coats, you know, you do want um, coats that are actually going to keep your dog warm and, you know, free from the rain. However, you know, as long as they do that, the rest doesn't really matter. You know, as long as they, you know, fit their purpose, then the rest doesn't matter. It doesn't have to be trendy. You don't always have to follow the trends. And like I say, same with human clothing. You don't have to be trendy. Um, the, the real important thing in agility is to be good at agility. And these things are quite irrelevant. You know, they can help and make it a more pleasurable experience. But I think that overrated, you don't need them as much as I think it is portrayed that you do. So that is the first one. The second one is also um, trendy, but it is trendy handling techniques or manoeuvres. Now this is quite controversial and I do have sort of two sides, there is two sides to this. Um, obviously European handling I rate hugely and I use it in my own handling in agility with Arrow um, and I used it with Ethel. Didn't quite so use it with Earl when I started because I didn't know what it was um, but it does save time. So obviously you've got your blinds instead of front crosses, catchers instead of pivots, 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 stuff like that. Um, so they are time saving and may stop you from tripping over your own feet, which is always super helpful, um, especially if you can be a bit clumsy like me sometimes or I feel like I am sometimes. I always say to my mum, I feel like I'm going to fall over every every given moment. And she's like, no, you don't look at you look really like coordinated. I'm like, what? How? And then I watch my videos back and I'm like, oh, yeah, I do, I do look all right. But I actually feel like I'm just going to flop at any moment. Um, but yeah, you don't need to do all the trendly, trendly, trendy handling techniques and manoeuvres. Um, just again, do what works. You know, it doesn't actually, when you actually put it down to what it is, agility, you don't, it doesn't matter what the handle does. If the dog's path is the fastest and the most efficient, um, you know, if path, then it doesn't matter where you are or what you're doing, as long as what you're doing is making your dog do agility in the best way time wise and lack of faults wise so it doesn't matter what you're doing handle the way that you feel most comfortable and that your dog understands the most and that is really all you need to do you don't need to change your handling to be trendy when a new type of handling style comes out or maneuver comes out you know you could try it but if it doesn't work as well as your old ways then don't feel like you have to do it just because it's trendy stick to what works for you again the age-old saying if it's not broke don't fix it you don't need to do what works for you at the end of the day you're not marked on how your handling looks the dog's time and lack of faults is marked so handling the way that means that happens basically um you want a fast clear round whatever way of handling makes that happen do that don't feel peer pressured into doing something that's trendy okay so and training as well, like if you're a trainer, obviously you want to incorporate the newer sort of techniques and manoeuvres. However, don't force it on your students, if that makes sense. Like let them handle in the way that works for them. Show them these ways, but obviously 
don't make them do it. <laughs> they can make their own mind up. So that is quite important. Number three is your own venue and full set of equipment. Again, there's two sides to this. I don't have my own venue or full set of equipment. I have limited space and equipment. I have a small garden-ish um, that can fit maybe four jumps in, uh, can fit a seesaw just nicely with a bit of room before and a bit of room after. Um, as you've probably seen on my videos, but you don't need your own menu and you don't need your own set of equipment to be successful in agility. I'd like to think I'm living proof of that. Um, I do think the equipment I've got and training in the garden has helped me progress faster. Um, but, you know, prog progress with the arrow hasn't been fast in general. So, you know, it might be even slower if I didn't have that to do at home. But my point is you get there in the end no matter what. The most important thing is having a training regularly but you know you do need to be able to train on a full set of equipment regularly so maybe once a week at a train with a trainer um at a at a trainer's field or whatever like i do with lucy every wednesday but if that's all you can do that's fine it might be a bit slower progress but don't think that you won't be as successful just doing that um obviously if you can train every single day in your own field with your own set of equipment yes you're probably going to pro progress faster but it isn't the be all and end all um most people do have some sort of garden or a local park or field so get a couple of jumps um maybe get a little contact training board obviously you've got your mat for running contacts or small things that you can fit in a small space and do little skills on that in your small space and you will still make progress and then you can do your full course running uh, um, and sort of wider more open skills and sections of courses that you see in competition at your training classes um if you just have training classes then don't be afraid to reach out to your trainer and be like look i saw this at competition and found it hard um please could we train that next week don't be afraid you know the worst they can say is no i've already got a course um ready or whatever or no i can't move the equipment stuff like that uh, but it's worth a shot and usually most trainers will be really you know glad you said that give them an idea as well they have to do less planning <laughs> so it's a win-win um and they'll set that up for you you can hire venues, obviously, again, uh, Dog Sports Derby, for example. Um, I hire Lucy's Field. She sometimes uh, puts that up for hire. So you can hire venues to use. You don't need your own. You don't need your own venue and full set of equipment. I think Ari's doing pretty well and I don't have that. So I think that is overrated. People do, you know, I think the common belief is that it's the people with their own venue and, and full set of equipment that are the top of agility. And yes, that may be the case. Um, but it's not fact. It's not sort of set in stone. Um, you can still be amazing at agility without that. Uh, there are other ways around it. So I think that is overrated. It doesn't need to, you know, be shouted about as much as it is, I don't think. Obviously, it helps, but, you know, it's not imperative. So number four is crated out vans. Again, no, no hate because I would love a crated out van uh, and I would like one one day. Well, no, I'd like my dog grooming van one day that I'll have a crate in um but you don't need crated out vans with all the setup you know I feel like everyone in it or a lot of people in agility do have this and it sort of looks cool looks like you know what you're doing you know it's helpful because you've got your crates already there especially if you have multiple dogs you know people have like hooks for their leads and their toys and stuff like that but you don't need a crated out van uh dog safety wise as well yes they're super safe um but there are other ways around it. So, for example, in my car, I only have a little Toyota Igo, a very small car. 
It does have five doors, but it is small, but I can fit a crate in my on my back seat and I strap it in, bungee it in around the front seats and then put uh, the seat belt through it. And that is so sturdy and so secure and then push the passenger seat back to, you know, squash it between the passenger, passenger seat in the front and in the back so that it is super solid. And honestly, if you went and you shook it, it would not move. So that's how I get Arrow uh, to and from training um, or shows if I go just me and him. And then the van, my mum's van, it's not crated out, but we, my dad, um, we have two crates, one big, one little for Arrow and Ethel. And they are, I, I can't remember how he fixed them down, but he like screwed them in. So they're proper, just sat there in the back of the van. Um, so it kind of is a crated out van, but you know what I mean by crated out van, as in like the typical, you open the back doors and there's like the four crates there or whatever. Um, doesn't need to be fancy like that. As long as it's safe, it doesn't matter uh, what format it's in or what it looks like. As long as you have a safe way of um, transporting your dog in a crate, doesn't need to be like that typical crated out van i think those are overrated again they're expensive you don't need it um i've never had that and look at what i've been doing um you know i've been abroad all sorts of things so yes it can help and it's easier and there's less work involved i suppose once you've got it fitted however it's not the be all and end all you don't need it there are other ways to make sure that you can get your dog to and from agility safely in the car or the van so number five is correct oh Correcting slightly imperfect criteria in nervous dogs. I thought I made a typo then, but I didn't. Yeah, so correcting slightly imperfect criteria in nervous dogs. So obviously, the thing that shouted about the most, and I do agree with, and I did have to do with Ethel, but it still didn't work in the end. Um, but like I said, she started jumping her contacts and bailing the seesaw on, off the side, I think, because it hurt her joints. Um, at that point, as she got older, I don't think it was a training issue. Um, hence why I retired her as well. But you know, correcting imperfect criteria in the ring is very shouted about and kind of trendy and thought highly of. And I agree to some extent, if you've got a really confident pushy dog that pushes its criteria, yes, you need to make sure that criteria is hit in the ring. That will really help in the long term because your dog will think, oh, I can't push it. I have to achieve that exact criteria every time. And that will make you in turn more consistent. However, in nervous dogs, I think it's overrated. I think it's almost more helpful not to do that in nervous dogs. For example, with Arrow, um, correcting him when his criteria wasn't spot on every time just made him more anxious. Um, it dampened his spirits because he was like, oh, I failed and he'd shut down at the start. Um, so what I found with him is, you know, kind of like with his dog walk, for example, to get the criteria, he needed to be confident and fast to get his strides to carry him down. So what worked better for me was just letting him run across it. And even if he jumped it, just making him feel that he can run across the dog walk at full pelt. And that's right and that's good. Eventually led him to just automatically get that criteria. Anyway, same with the seesaw. Um, if I correct him, if I corrected him every time he didn't stop in the two on two off position at the end of the seesaw until I said, okay, he would have no confidence on the seesaw whatsoever he already struggles so now i race him across it um as long as he stops near the end on the contact waits for it to bang i release him straight away and that is building his confidence the criteria is technically the two on two off but if i corrected it every time he didn't do that 
because that's harder for him because he's nervous to go all the way to the end. So I'm rewarding baby steps. It's not criteria, but I'm still releasing him and pretending that that's the best thing he could ever do in the entire world, even when he doesn't do the two-on-two-off. If he just runs to the end, you know, even if it's just on the contact and then waits for the bang, you know, stays on it for the bang, I'll release him. I won't correct that because of his confidence. So I think that is, you know, correcting criteria. It's overrated for every dog. It depends on the dog. So just be careful with how you're doing that. Um, again, it has its place for certain dogs, but just be careful what you're doing with your own dog and the character of your own dog. And then the last overrated thing is your social media appearance. Now, this is a weird one, but I think social media in general these days is very overrated. Um, I can't say loads because I'm a bit addicted to it. I do love it. Um, I love making content um, and posting stuff, as you know, on my Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, stuff like that. Even this podcast, kind of social media, promote it on social media. However, I think there's a lot of pressure these days to do well in agility, you know, at a show so that you can post about it on social media and look good, um, especially for people wanting to become trainers and stuff. I know I felt like I have to appear really good on social media to get potential customers. Uh, for my online dog training and stuff like that um, but in reality social your social media appearance is quite overrated you know you don't need social media to prove that you're good at agility you go you train you go to shows and then you get the results and that is what proves obviously it's great to you know brag to a certain extent where you, you know you deserve it when you do well but don't go to a show feeling pressured that oh I won't have anything to post on social media you know it'll look bad if I don't win this um it's just a big thing in agility isn't it social media and agility net and all this there's like that agility community on social media but I think it's overrated what you look like on social media again it's a little bit more important for some people than others you know people trying to promote businesses and stuff but don't panic about how you look on social media and your appearance on social media after an agility competition or training day or whatever you know at the end of the day you don't have to even post if it doesn't go that well you don't have to post um you don't have to do anything on social media that you don't want to do um you don't have to post every day so again i think thinking about your social media appearance and letting that put pressure on you isn't necessary you don't need to do that and it will only cause you more stress and upset in the long term so i think social media is overrated for that reason so that is all the overrated things, uh, trends, sorry. So now we'll move on to underrated. So the first one is handler fitness trained outside of the agility ring. Now, you know how passionate I am about fitness and health and nutrition and all that sort of thing for the agility handler. Um, big interest of mine, as you will know. But I think handler fitness is super underrated. Again, you don't need to be super fit, but I don't think it's I don't think enough importance is placed onto it. I don't think mm, the majority of people in agility realise how beneficial being fit as a handler is and working on your fitness outside of agility. So, for example, the gym, you know, running, doing sprint work, um, agility drills, sort of working on your own agility as a handler outside of agility completely, um, just general fitness outside of agility. It helps massively. Um on my Instagram, I do food and fitness Friday. So every Friday I do post something about food or fitness related to the agility handler specifically. So go and check that out if you want some ideas and inspiration. But yeah, I don't think people realize quite how important that is. And yes, it's not necessary, but 
the way it can help you not only achieve better results but feel better and enjoy agility more you know you're not going to be out of breath you're not going to be dying as such you know agility is only getting faster dogs are only being sort of uh, don't want to say bred faster but you know what i mean um you know agility agility just is getting faster dogs are getting faster so we in turn i think need to also get faster to keep up with our dogs not even just physical speed but your cardiovascular um health and endurance so that's your ability to you know speak to your stamina so speak to your dog while running for a longer period of time you know courses are getting longer european courses are so long and so open you know there's a big emphasis on um gaps between obstacles and you know spreading courses out we need to be able to run those courses and we're going to struggle to keep up with our dogs if we are not fit and not working on that outside of agility and i don't think i think people are so focused on their dogs um agility skills and fitness that they just don't think about their own so i really think that is underrated you know you're a team there's two of you yes it's the dog that's technically being marked um and timed but without you they wouldn't have a clue where they're going you are just as important as your dog in agility. It's 50-50. I truly believe that you need to put as much into yourself as you do your dog. So that includes nutrition as well. You know, we feed our dogs um, raw food, you know, for performance. But do we feed ourselves a good diet for performance? We need, we should. You know, we take our dogs on walks. We train them. They run about, do sprints in fields and stuff. We do their um, stretching. We warm up and cool them down because the worst thing that could happen is our dogs get injured um you know in our heads and that is bad but what if you get injured too then you also you can't do agility still um and people are like, oh i'll just put with it no you will if you're injured you can't perform at your best in agility um obviously you do your dog conditioning our dogs get physio joint supplements what about us i'm not saying splash out on all these things for yourself all the time but take it into consideration do your stretches you know, you could do some exercises for conditioning yourself at home even. You don't have to join a gym, but strength training, super important. Um, and you'll just be able to do agility for longer as well. So super important, super underrated. And I want to shout that from the rooftops. I think more people need to know about the importance of that. So number two is dog fitness trained outside of the agility ring. Now, again, I feel like the, people are getting better at this, but I also think that there is more of an emphasis placed on dogs actually just like all their training is on the agility course um i think excuse me again more people and again the people sort of more at the top of the sport um and i don't want to sound like a snob when i say that um because i don't mean me i just mean like people that are it is their entire life almost they are more inclined to do things for their dog's fitness outside of the agility ring so for example um that's like physio like i just said the stretches the conditioning um you could do like agility drills with the ladder for your dog stuff like that um sprints so you could take your dog on a walk and do like hill sprints so not just going on a walk and letting your dog run as they wish um actually you know setting your dog up um to run up a hill after its ball as in a purposeful exercise for that for that reason so i think that you know our dogs need to be kept fit not just through running an agility course but you need to get the foundations there they need to get there um i think people who are new to agility don't realize that as much either so i think that is underrated that is super important so number three is dog and handler warm-ups and cool downs so i'm not gonna lie uh, when i go to shows i barely see anyone warming up or cooling down either them or their dog 
And again, if you don't do that, you're very likely to injure yourself compared to if you did. So that is super important. Um, I do plan on showing you all my warm up, warm up and cool down methods for agility for Arrow and myself. Um, at some point, I'll probably do that on an upcoming Food and Fitness Friday on my Instagram. Uh, just stay to the end of this and I will sh tell you all my links to my social media and you'll be able to check them out. But yeah, warm ups and cool downs, not enough people do them. I am at shows all the time and I just don't see people do them enough. People aren't shouting about that enough. Again, super underrated. And again, I don't want to sound like a snob again, but I think I see more of the sort of top elite, elite in quotation marks, if you're not watching the YouTube video, um, handlers doing these things. Whereas a lot of the sort of lower grades maybe that are newer to agility, I don't think even know that that's necessary. So that is definitely very underrated um, to prevent injury and also just increase improved performance. So, you know, it's a bit like if you had a ball of Play-Doh or Plasticine, it's going to be rock solid. If you try and move it, it's going to be stiff and slow. But if you warm it up, then it's going to be really flexible, bendy, a lot faster to change shape. Same on the agility course. So that's super underrated. And then another one is dog joint supplements. I don't really know how many people give dog joint, suppl uh, joint supplements to their dogs. Um, I more recently did with Arrow, but you know, I think that is super underrated. Again, I don't think it's something that people think about doing when they do agility, especially those that, you know, don't do it at the top level, but still do it quite regularly. Um, you know, I didn't give Ethel joint supplements, for example, and I do think she has some arthritis now. She does seem quite stiff. Whereas Arrow, I've now got straight onto joint supplements. Um, it prolongs, our, it, they will prolong our dog's uh, joint health and ability to do agility to the best of their ability and perform well and be competitive for longer. And also uh, less likely to get injured or hurt or suffer any conditions such as arthritis when they get older and are more prone to those things anyway. But at the end of the day, we want to do as much as we can to prolong our dog's agility careers and their comfort in general life, uh, skeletally, I think is I think that's the word, uh, you know, mu muscularly and skeletally and in their joints and stuff like that. So I think dog joint supplements are quite underrated and I think more people should invest. Again, I know they're expensive and not everyone can afford them, but if you can, then I do believe that is a worthwhile investment. And, you know, one tub lasts so long. So, you know, it's it's not like it's 50 quid a month. It might be 70 quid-ish for something that lasts at like six months or something like that. So it's super, super worth it. Um, five is obedience skills. So again, I have learned from my own mistake in a way. When I got Arrow, obviously um, I got him purely for, well, not purely for agility, but, you know, with the thought he's going to be an agility dog. Um, and I'm going to have these goals with him all going well. But you know, I think it's easy to get that puppy and get that excited about its agility, its future as an agility dog, that you kind of just forget about the basics. And it's easy to skip that and jump straight to training the agility or all the things that are, you know, leading on to help with agility. Whereas I actually think obedience skills are even more important, you know, the basics. So you've got your basics down as soon as you say it. Um, you know, waiting in any position. Um, obviously, I mainly trained arrow or weight as in like a start line routine, and that did help his weight. Um, but I think it would be more beneficial to start 
as in you were as if you were in an obedience class you know even attending an obedience class loose lead walking you don't think about that for agility but walking around shows without his halty arrow pulls <laughs> um my bad it, it isn't that important to me that he doesn't but because he's most of his off walks are off lead and it shows i do just use the halty which i've trained him to enjoy but I just think that is, you know, if you're walking around a show and you want your dog to be chilled and loose on the lead, train those obedience skills when they're a puppy, um, you know, retrieving things. It's nothing to do with agility, but it teaches your dog to listen to you. It's not all about just the agility. You know, you want to teach your dog. You basically want to acclimatise your dog to listening to everything you have to say, doing as it's told, being obedient, you know, looking up to you, respecting you. And then that will carry on over into agility later down the line. I think obedience skills are super underrated. You know, if your dog is perfect with obedience before it starts agility, it's probably going to find, you know, you're probably going to find getting into agility and being successful easier and less stressful and have less behavioural problems with your dog. So the last one, this is kind of a funny one. It's a bit of a joke, but, you know, lighthearted, peaked caps. Most of you probably know I used to be that person that would only ever wear a peak cap in agility. The only reason I don't wear it now is because of my new hairstyle. And to be honest, if I wear a peak cap all day and take it off, my hair looks awful. This hairstyle is not meant to be flat. The peak cap makes it flat. It looks horrendous. I hate it. So I just don't wear peak caps anymore. Um, again, I don't really need time of hair back. Like if I do that, if I look forward, like I'm looking down at Arrow, it doesn't really go in my face. I can still see. Um, I'm growing it a bit though, so I might have to start putting it in a ponytail. But the only that's the only reason I don't wear peak caps anymore. Don't want to have to wash my hair after every. I wash my hair like twice a week, otherwise it goes frizzy. I don't want to have to wash my hair after every day of agility, to be honest, <laughs> um, just to make it look decent again for the next day. So I don't. But peak caps, honestly, really underrated. Not that many people wear them for agility, but they are so handy. Like honestly, when I started not wearing peak caps for agility. I was so aware of like the brightness of the sun, you know, sun's in my eyes, you know, it kind of focuses you in because you can't see this bit. You're focused in on what you're looking straight ahead at. And I think more people should try the peak cap because I just think it really helps with your agility. You know, keeps your hair out your face, keeps the sun out your eyes, um, keeps the wind out your face, I guess, kind of. And it kind of tunnel vision, vision visions you. So you're just looking at what you're looking at and not getting distracted by anything else going on around you. I just think they're great and more people should try them out. Unfortunately, I want this hairstyle and it's, the peak cap isn't quite worth ruining that for. However, I think they're great and more people should try them. And that's why I used to be that person that would never be seen without one. So that is everything for today's episode. I hope you enjoy that excuse me again, feel free to let me know if you disagree with any of it. It'd be fun to have a conversation. But for now, go and follow all of my social media. I will put those links on the screen here on the YouTube video and down below in the description on Spotify and Apple Podcasts and wherever, wherever else you get your podcasts. Please do leave a rating or a review on the podcast um, on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Again, that would mean the world to me. Hopefully five stars, you know, wink, wink. But I'm not going to, I'm not going to, I'm not going to say what you should do, but that would be great. Got some great guests coming up. Uh, got two guest episodes being recorded, one this week and one next week. So the next few episodes should be guests. Again, I've had a little bit of a break um, from guests and I've missed them. So finally getting some back. Um, and yeah, 
Thank you for listening again and I hope you enjoyed this episode. You know the drill every Wednesday at 8pm. So make sure you are following the podcast, subscribed on YouTube so you don't miss another episode and I will see you all next week. Bye guys.